0: Welcome to the Candeo Equipping Podcast. I'm here with Stephen Jones. How's it going, everyone? Yeah, hey. And uh, by this point, Stephen, you will have already preached a message on June 27th, 2021, uh, during our Proverbs series here in the summer on temptation and fighting temptation. And it's funny, a lot of times when I talk to people uh, who haven't, Preached, done a sermon. I was just talking to a guy last week who was asking, "How do you how do you write a sermon? How do you even think mm-hmm. of what to say? Like how how do you how do you think of what to say for thirty five minutes?" Yeah, and and I'm like, "Well, you know, the hard part actually isn't figuring out what to say. The hard part is figuring out what not to say in the, in the on the Sunday morning, you know." And so there are a lot of sermons where I've experienced this. I think a lot of us have where. Actually, a lot gets left on the chopping block floor that you wanted to say that you just couldn't. And there are particular times where it seems that uh, the stuff that gets left on the floor that can't make it on a Sunday is of such value that it's worth creating another context to mm-hmm. continue yeah. that conversation, to add that content, because it's just so good, but you you would never have the time to be able to fit it mm-hmm. into a Sunday sermon. So that's what this is. Uh Stephen, your sermon on temptation, uh, you were able to hit some of these points real briefly, but there was a lot that you would have wanted to go into but couldn't that we want to explore right now.
1: Yeah, and it's not so much like more exegetical work on Mm. Proverbs 7. It's more of the like practical outworking of this and getting really tangible on how to fight sin. Um, And really, this is just coming from a tool that I've walked countless individuals through when it pertains to how to fight habitual sin and Mm. it can be applied to a lot of different scenarios um whether that be sexual whether that be uh i've even helped someone who's walking with a marijuana addiction
0: and trying to Mm. apply some of these concepts to that it could be anything so yeah that's awesome you you said the other day it you you felt as though you've been preparing for this message for eight years yeah literally so <laughs> which is awesome I, and I don't yeah this is kind of funny
1: so it's Wednesday June 23rd when we're recording this so there's there's a part of me that's like I don't know what's gonna come out on Sunday quite yet but um <laughs> some of this might be review yeah, yeah 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 I would say of all the proverbs proverb 7 is probably well it's for sure the the proverb that I've spent the most time personally studying in my own devotions over the over, over the course of the last eight years mm. um, and probably in the top five Old Testament passages that I've spent significant time studying and yeah really over the last eight years as I've personally walked through habitual sin um, and now discipled you know scores of men and women uh, who are trying to find freedom and victory from habitual sin mm. so yeah
0: awesome well how about we just jump right yep. into your first
1: Yep. So I would have – I'll I'll have already at least given an overview of these five uh, practical ways to fight habitual sin on Sunday morning, but would love to spend a little bit more time unpacking them and add some more supplemental examples and things like that and for Jake to speak into those. So uh, Sunday morning – The five uh, practical ways to fight habitual sin. These are not exhaustive, but these are five that I have found have been very helpful as it pertains to taking the initial steps of finding freedom and victory from habitual sin. So the first one is embracing your union with Christ. Mm. Uh, If you want to fight habitual sin, it starts here, embracing your union with Christ. And this really is coming out of Romans 8, where in Romans 8.1, we see there's no condemnation for those in Christ when he says in Christ, he's referring to your union in Christ. Because you are un- you, have union with Christ, there's no condemnation uh, for you. Uh, you have complete grace, forgiveness, freedom from the sin. You do not have to carry the shame and guilt of your past sin or of your current uh, habitual sin. There is no condemnation for those in Christ, And then he goes on, in your union with Christ, it's not only that you don't have condemnation, but you also have a new power to fight sin. So he says in Romans 8.11 8, that in Christ you have the Spirit, the same Spirit that rose Christ Jesus from the dead now resides in you. Uh, you have a power that is... Uh, equivalent to the same power that rose Christ Jesus from the dead. So there's no habitual sin therefore that mm. you are currently facing that you don't have access to a power to find freedom from. Mm. Like if Christ if that if if the same power that rose Christ Jesus from the dead resides in you, it doesn't matter what level of addiction, what level of entrapment, any of that, you have the ability through the power and grace of Christ to find freedom. Uh, which then he says in verse 13 is by the same spirit, now you put to death the misdeeds of the body. So, in our union with Christ, we have grace and access to a power to fight sin, um, and the motivation, the freedom, and uh, to
0: walk in pure mm. purity or whatever freedom it looks like. So, yeah, I was gonna say it, it's it's yeah, it's not just equivalent to it, it is, is. The yeah, same, yeah, 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 <laughs> the same exact power, yeah. And it's it's one of those things, like, I think union with Christ for me. It's really only been in maybe the last three years that I've really considered the, the absolute imperative of recognizing that, of, of understanding that, of of being daily reminded that I am in Christ, mm-hmm. and so all, all the all the benefits that are Christ are mine. That when God looks at me, it's He's looking at at me through the lens of His Son, and so. You know what I mean? Because I think it it can be really easy to think like, well, when God looks at me, he has that kind of like meh emoji, which is kind of like not good enough, yeah, not impressed. It's like, no, when when he sees us, because we are in Christ, he sees the finished work of his son Mm -hmm. and the spirit that lives within us. That's the very spirit that empowers us to be able to say no to sin and not be slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness, you know? And we were kind of talking about this the other day, and maybe we'll get into some of it later, but it's like... One of the most assuring things in me in fighting habitual sin has been has been the reality that God is a God that doesn't change, like the shifting shadows, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. in James one. You know where it's like, and because God doesn't change, that means that I can that I can change, and I can be continually being changed by the Spirit. That's just been so comforting to me. So yeah, union well, with God. I love I love how you you start off with that. That's oh yeah. Huge.
1: Well, if you if you are coming out at this as guilt motivated you have no chance. Mm. And even what you're saying is like, what is the picture that you have when God, like that you imagine God's faces towards you Mm. after the moment of sin or failure? Well, it should be Zephaniah 317, that you have a father who is singing over you with love and delight. Now, as a father, my heart breaks when my children disobey me, but there is love and delight. My heart is breaking more out of just the the consequence that they're going to experience because of their sin and a desire to see them flourish. Uh, But no matter what happened during the day when I put them to bed, I just sing over them, delight over them. Mm. And that is the picture that Zephaniah gives us of our father, is a father who loves us, wants a restored relationship with us. Uh, The prodigal son, finding a father who's embracing him and killing the fattened calf and putting a... You know, there's just this love and... like. A, a love that God has for us as our father being adopted in. And if we don't start there, then we have no chance because guilt and fear, like they can motivate for a short period, but that is, a, it's not a long term motivation that can sustain health or walking in holiness or whatever. Mm. It, it has to be this concept of there's no condemnation, you have freedom in Christ. And a recognition from Second Peter one three that His divine power has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. There's no sermon you haven't heard. There's no passage you haven't memorized. Like there's no uh, spiritual experience you haven't had. God's power resides in you mm-hmm. through the Spirit, and He's given you everything that pertains
0: to life and godliness through His Spirit. So, well, I think I think it's not only just that, like it's not a guilt motivated thing, but guilt also. Uh, doesn't chain us down, you know. I was talking to a guy last, a friend last week who, after two years of sobriety, relapsed mm-hmm. over the last week and uh, and praise God. And we'll get into this, you know. He he uh, is embracing accountability and, and has a community around him that loves him. And so, I mean, immediately, you know, he and 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 he said to me, he said, you know, honestly, after that, I felt suicidal because he was Mm. so crushed by the guilt Mm -hmm. of his relapse. And I I couldn't help but think of Micah 7, uh, where it says, "'Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I Mm -hmm. sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord, because I have sinned against Him until He pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out into the light. I shall look upon His vindication.'" And so it's that that passage is this reminder that it's like yeah absolutely like like the the holy spirit who lives within us is grieved by our sin there so there certainly will be a sense of of guilt and yet there is no condemnation for those mm-hmm. who are in christ that mm-hmm. as we stand before the lord certainly guilty of the sin that we've committed that that guilt should not and ought not keep us down because the lord will plead our case and will silence the accuser who stands before us yeah. and we can we can actually overcome that sin that yeah. that seems besetting, like we'll never be able to change, you know, so...
1: Well, and it's not it's not to minimize uh, the severity of sin.
0: Mm. So
1: in Zechariah 3, when the high priest Joshua is before God, uh, you know, you think if anyone has a chance of being accepted before God, it'd be the high priest of Israel, but yet he's covered in filth from head to toe.
0: Yeah, yeah. In
1: Isaiah and Isaiah 6, he recognizes the wickedness of his tongue, and you're like, oh, if anyone has the chance of, in the presence of God being accepted, it'd be a prophet or a high priest. And yet these guys are covered in filth because of their sin and wretchedness. And it's like, oh my goodness, then what What hope do we have? Well, the hope is in both those stories, in the presence of God. In Isaiah 6, an angel touches Isaiah's lips with the the fiery coal of God's grace. Mm-hmm. And then in Zechariah 3, God commands an angel to clothe Joshua with a new robe, a new t- tunic. Uh, it's his grace that cleanses us. And so when you have that reality of like, oh my word, like when I relapse or when I fail, or when I like am taking one step forward, two steps back, or two steps forward, one step back, there's uh, a grace that is available to us that we don't have to come in trying to accomplish penance before God to make up for Mm. my Mm. relapse or whatever. Uh, No, it's Grace that embraces us in that moment. And it doesn't matter if you're Joshua the high priest or the worst person you can think of. The playing field is level at the foot of the cross. Mm -hmm. And grace is the only thing that has earned us access to the throne room of God. So it's not by saying your sin doesn't matter or minimizing the reality of how severe your sin is. No, it's recognizing, like, oh, we have no chance. And it's only by God's grace that we can have access to Him. Mm -hmm. And when that is the thing that uh, I embrace with my union of Christ, then that be, like puts me at the starting point of actually beginning to see long-term growth in this. When the my uh, dominant view of how God uh, thinks of me or whatever is a, out of the aspect of grace and adoption and fatherhood, uh, no condemnation, then I can actually begin to take steps mm-hmm. motivated out of love and freedom, not motivated out of guilt and performance.
0: Yeah, so how do I walk in purity, embrace my union with Christ? What's the second yep. one?
1: So point two, uh, love of God's word. Mm. And I, I'll have mentioned some of these on Sunday morning. Uh, so, you, so you got Psalms 119, nine, how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping your word? Verse 11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, Proverbs 7, 2 and 3, uh, keep these commands, keep my teaching as the apple of your eye Um, So, love of God's Word is really the thing that cultivates holiness within us. And I kind of think of uh, the few times in my life that I've consistently worked out. (laughs) You know, it creates a type of person in me that when I go to the buffet, like... I just weirdly desire salad. Like, if I, cause it's like, okay, when I'm doing healthy things in my exercise, uh, it just creates a new desire in me. Like, I don't desire the fried chicken as much as, and I'm like, oh man, I should maybe like grab the salad. And so, really being saturated in God's word begins to reorient our desires mm. our person our character our integrity and that is the the foundation of beginning to desire that which is righteous yeah and we have to uh, begin to cultivate a inner holiness if we're going to walk in obedience to God mm. and that really happens by a commitment to God's word mm. so psalms you know 1 uh The way you become an oak tree for Jesus is meditating on the Word day and night, Mm -hmm. Um, planting yourself by the streams. Yeah, yeah, in His Word. And Mm -hmm. so there's, you know, there's a lot of things that cultivate uh, personal holiness in our lives, but uh, God's Word is an essential ingredient to that. Mm -hmm. You know, and so we have
0: to cultivate a love of God's Word. Yeah, I mean, it really is true, and we, we, we know this intuitively. It's that you're. You're often a product of your greatest habits, right? And so the the habit of being immersed in the Word of God, you know, morning, night, whenever, like, have cultivating that habit in your life. What would you say as it relates to someone? Let's say someone is struggling particularly with sexual sin right now. Mm. How to not just generally incorporate a habit of being in God's Word, though that is certainly uh, an end goal, like. Like, are, are you a big fan of the, like, find the verse that really helps you fight the sin yeah. that, you know, and stick it in your pocket, like, all that stuff? But so maybe, from, maybe give some real tangible yeah. feet you know, to some of that. So absolutely, like, yeah, memorize verses that speak
1: specifically to your sin struggle. Um, but I've also found that a moment of temptation for whatever habitual sin, if I just start quoting a memory verse... Mm. It's probably going to work no matter what it is. Yeah, Yeah, seriously. Remind yourself of who God is. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And it's very difficult to meditate on God's word while simultaneously entertaining a temptation.
0: Mm.
1: You know, it doesn't matter if it's, yeah, you know, that's really good. A verse that doesn't relate. Genesis 1 1, like in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Just meditate on that. Like you've probably known that verse for a long time, but Mm. you could meditate on that verse for a significant period of time and begin just like, you know, sucking on the hard candy of that verse. Oh, man. Yeah. And so, yeah, there is absolutely benefit to memorizing specific verses for your struggle, but also just general intake of God's Word
0: helps tremendously. Yeah. And it probably doesn't need to be that specific. You know what's funny in that too? I, I, love, I love how you're highlighting this is that, okay, Say say you're in the throes of a sexual temptation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth like you said, the hard candy, I'm just gonna suck on that and meditate on that, which, okay, so God created the heavens and the earth. That means that that I'm not the creator, that I don't determine my purpose, but that God determines my purpose because I'm the created. My purpose was to glorify Him, which means not giving into sexual... Like, it, you, mm-hmm. if you really just meditate... On a verse that seems like, how in the world does that relate to sexual temptation? It's like, Meditating on the truths of the be- of oh, who yeah. God is, yeah. what he has done, like, yeah, I totally agree.
1: Yeah. And I mean, if, you, if you've n- not ever significantly meditated on scripture, a simple way is just to slowly work through each word of a verse. Mm. So it's like beginning, in the beginning. Okay, I'm just gonna think about beginning for a while. Wow, isn't it crazy that God didn't have a beginning and mm. I did? Wow, okay. In the beginning, God. Oh, okay, so... God, you know, God so was that's, before the beginning. If you just yeah. meditate on it that way, it's like you're probably that temptation is probably gone within five minutes. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> if anything,
1: because you become distracted. <laughs> yeah, you become distracted by the best thing ever, God's yes. word. So,
0: <laughs> so embrace union with Christ, the love of God's word. Mm-hmm. Number three, hatred of sin. So, uh this is
1: really. Uh, critical. There's a lot of people that at the end of the day, when you begin to press in, don't truly hate sin. Mm. They don't truly recognize its consequence and the damage that it's creating. They don't truly recognize the extent to which God had to suffer in order to free us from our sin, um, and they don't truly want to be done with it. And it's, like about sexual sin... Um, there's people that's just like, hey, you know what? At the end of the day, if I'm really honest with myself or others, I don't want to give up my premarital sex, Mm -hmm. my pornography, my masturbation, my whatever it might be, because I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. you know. And there hasn't been a clear stake in the ground moment where I've decided this, I'm going to recognize sin for what God says it is, and it's something that brings death. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to listen to the father in Proverbs 7 and hear his warning to his sons when he says, little does he know that this will cost him his life. Mm. Um, and so there's both the recognizing the personal consequence, but then recognizing the the outward consequence of our sin and how it impacts others. So uh, take pornography, for instance. I want to also begin to expose myself to the just horrible societal effects of pornography, mm. that there are literal people created in God's image, whose lives are being destroyed on the other end of this screen. And I'm contributing to that, even if it's in a small way in my mind, I'm still fueling this industry that is Mm. destroying the lives of men and women. And I want to mourn over that uh, and be sad of that, just the consequence of sin. And so cultivating a hatred of sin is really a stake in the ground moment where I'm saying, I'm to recognize what God calls this, and it's an agent of death in my life and in the lives of others, Mm -hmm. and I want to be done with it, Mm -hmm. and genuinely make a decision to flee from my sin. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you look at Saul, uh, when when kind of his downfall, when Samuel confronts him after he attacks the Amalekites, uh, God commands them to completely destroy everything. And what they do instead is they destroy the things that they would have destroyed regardless of, yeah. of God's command. <laughs> we destroyed all the worthless things, but then we kept all the good things because we were going to make sacrifices to God. Mm-hmm. And they try to justify it with religious things, which is exactly what we talked about this morning uh, on Sunday morning with Proverbs 7, is the woman tries mm-hmm. to justify it with a religious excuse. Yeah. And Samuel's like, no, just stop you did not obey God. You obeyed God, and this is paraphrased, you obey God to the extent by which it like was conducive to your desires. Like You mm-hmm. would have done those things regardless of God's command, mm-hmm. but the second that it began to go against what you naturally wanted, you stopped obeying. And so with sexual sin, there's people that's like, oh, yeah, I want God to help me get out of this adulterous affair, or I want God to help me avoid that. It's like, well, yeah, I pretty, mu- pretty much any like, healthy human doesn't want to have an affair. So I'm going to obey to that extent. But as soon as it begins to go against what you naturally would want, like, I'm going like, to buckle down and really fight the lustful fantasies in my mm-hmm. mind. It's like, oh, like, do you want God to also rule over your thought life? And so I need to cultivate a hatred of sin. Mm. Man, it makes me think of, the, of like dogs and antifreeze. I would have never thought of that based really? off of what I just said. Really? <laughs> dogs and antifreeze.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, but like, like it tastes good, okay, and simultaneously will kill them. Ah, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. And I mean, you, you, not I've, to. I've never had a dog, and I've never tasted antifreeze, so this is good to hear. Well, I've never tasted antifreeze. I supposedly it's sweet, at least to dogs. I don't know if it's sweet to humans. I'm not sure we want to test that I'll let theory. You know. Yeah, right. But, but like, just even just that kind of like, man, the the vast difference between the the knowledge that I have, and now I don't own a dog. You know, uh, in the past we have, but like that I have the 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 difference between me and a dog is less than the difference between me and God as it relates to my wisdom, my power, my understanding. You know, and so. In the same way that it's like, yeah, you, you pull your dog away from the antifreeze that they, that they think tastes so sweet and they want to drink the whole thing, it's because the owner knows that that is going to absolutely kill you despite its sweet mm-hmm. taste. You know, And so mm-hmm. the trusting of God to know that this thing that may taste very sweet, it may taste sweet for your whole life. And the the consequences may not seem obvious, but to know that it's like and that very thing God has declared will kill you, it'll mm. bring death and to trust that God isn't lying to you about that just because he wants to wreck your fun, yeah, you know so which comes all the way back to the first point if you
1: don't if your view of God isn't dominated by his fatherhood, his grace, his love for you, your union in Christ, then how will you ever be in a position to trust God that you mm. should hate sin? yeah, so that's why we have to start with. Your view of God, yeah. your view of His Word. And then let's start to let that influence our view of sin.
0: Mm, yeah. So embrace union with Christ, love His Word, a hatred of sin. Number four high stakes accountability.
1: And I titled it that for a reason. That's good. I like that. Yeah, high stakes accountability. Um, so really, the, this concept comes from Proverbs 20, verse 5. Um, I apologize. I know. Probably some of this I will have already talked about on Sunday. That's
0: great.
1: uh, It might be a reminder. Reminders are good
0: for forgetful people.
1: Um, Proverbs twenty verse five says the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. And it clarifies that of a man of understanding, someone who is more mature than the man whose the purposes of his heart are deep waters. Someone with maturity now comes and draws those out, and that's where kind of that high stakes piece comes in. I've at least. I'll use college students as an example. I've seen... I've personally been guilty of this, and I've seen other students be guilty of this, of um, you have two individuals who are struggling with the same sin, and it's like you're both drowning in the deep end. Mm. And one says, hey, I'm drowning. And the other one says, me too. it's like, okay, we're both drowning. But you need a man (laughs) of understanding or, or a woman with maturity who's on the shore to say, hey, grace is available, like all of that but you guys can't stay in the deep end drowning. Begin Mm -hmm. to take like breaststrokes towards me, begin to swim, you know? And so you need someone who is further along in their faith, who can begin to call you to holiness and actually begin to uh, bring about uh, helpful coaching on how to be free from this area. And so I say that's high stakes because it's someone who's not also struggling with this, Mm -hmm. who's holding you accountable. Um, I think also in this category is the reality of uh potentially your spouse should all of us should have complete transparency or honesty with our spouse about our sexual mm-hmm. life now that does not necessarily mean that i share every nuance or every like specific detail of a lustful temptation thought that popped into my head mm-hmm. but we should be able to say with integrity my spouse knows my sexual life and is aware of my tendencies and things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, and that often is a high stakes accountability partner because this is someone whose sin is directly hurting or who your sin is directly hurting. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that might be, if you're not married, a close friend that, man, this is the last person that I want to share this with. Um, but I know that they're godly. I know that they're gospel centered. I know that they're actually wanting to help me in this area. Um, And will also be the iron sharpening iron for me that calls me to walk in obedience. And so I think high stakes has some of those elements of like, we need other people to come alongside us and walk with us, um, but aren't just gonna be passive in their accountability with us, but are gonna challenge us and encourage Mm -hmm. us and remind us of who God is, remind us of the gospel, and help us connect the dots of how the gospel moves us to be adamant to make every effort to progress in our faith. Um, that's Second Peter one five, and so, yeah, we need two or three mature believers who are walking around, uh, walking alongside us, who are providing accountability. And this isn't just reactive accountability, where it's mm-hmm. like, "Hey, I failed last week." It's also proactive accountability. This is where uh, a ton of growth begins to happen. Is when you can begin to antici- anticipate uh, the vulnerable positions that you're going to find yourselves in. Uh, this is when everything we talked about on Sunday morning with the path of sin, when you begin recognizing those patterns and paths and anticipate that you will find yourself in a tempting situation and proactively bring alongside, uh, bring people alongside you who can be praying for you Mm -hmm. and encouraging you. um, If you know that you're going to be entering into a situation that has proven to be a particularly vulnerable time for Mm -hmm. you. Um, It's way more fun to proactively confess than reactively, yeah. <laughs> you know, it it actually is it makes accountability fun when yeah. you are proactive and you're like, hey, I so care about my personal holiness in light of the gospel that I'm going to ask you to proactively mm-hmm. like be with me in prayer and encouragement and support as I enter
0: into this situation that has proven to be a, a susceptible time for me. Yeah, that's huge. What would you say to the person who Uh, Is maybe that that high stakes accountability partner? Let's use that kind of language. Uh, I I think sometimes the tendency can be, well, I want I want to be grace driven, and so the tendency can be to, oh man, yeah, we all struggle. Oh, it's there's like grace abounds, all that stuff. Like, and to hesitate to really challenge and push push into for fear of of. Having something be guilt driven, mm-hmm. or I—I I don't know. You yeah. Know, what would you say to that person where it's like, no, accountability actually doesn't just mean like always being like really affirming to the person and their vulnerability, but also going like, yeah, and you're going to probably have to say some hard things, and mm-hmm. maybe someone doesn't want to hear. And that doesn't mean you're a legalistic Pharisee, right? Like, I mean, is, is yeah, how have you found? that dynamic to work well. So Tim Keller has an interesting thing that he
1: says that if you are, so uh, say license and legalism are kind of two opposite categories. So Mm -hmm. license is uh, grace abounds, like abuse grace, all those things. Mm -hmm. Legalism, a lot of us have a a good operating definition of that, but just like uh, my behavior dictates or determines, influences God's disposition towards me. You know, mm-hmm. those are mm-hmm. maybe not perfect, but let's just say those are the definitions. Tim Keller says, whichever of those two you're more afraid of, you're probably in, in the opposite camp. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so if you're more afraid of being overbearing, you're probably a little too passive. Yeah. And if you're afraid of being too passive, you're probably a little overbearing. So I think, one, mm-hmm. recognize your tendency as a discipler or as an accountability partner, um, and push yourself maybe like, okay, if I know I have a tendency to be overbearing, I probably need to be marked a little bit more by gentleness. Mm. If I have a tendency to be passive, I probably need to push myself to say the hard thing when I don't want to. Yeah. But I think a simple formula for me is, one, reminding them of their union with Christ. There's no condemnation for those in Jesus. And then helping them connect the dots, how that moves us to obedience. Um, So whether that be, like, as I've affirmed to them the truths of the gospel, I typically then second will push them back to God and just say, you Mm -hmm. need to spend significant time with God today. Um, Take an hour, read through Psalms 51, read through Romans 8. Um, You know, those are some of the things that I'll have them do. But then also ask them, what is a tangible action step? Mm -hmm when we get into this fifth piece, which would be yep. avoid the path of sin, that you need to recognize. And so those are some of the things that I think through as a high-stakes accountability partner. I want to be marked by gentleness and challenge. I want to be pushing them to remember Romans eight one. I want to push them to deal with God directly. You know, David in Psalm 51 says... God, against you and you alone have I sinned. Mm. They need to go and spend time with God in deep repentance, and then helping them to identify clear action steps that will actually be helpful, and then following up with them on whether or not they did that. So clear action steps, perfect segue here into number five. Yes. So what are those clear action steps? Clear action steps are fifth, radical amputation to avoid the path. Um, if you didn't listen or if you didn't participate with the sermon on Sunday, uh, we looked at Proverbs 7, and you see a path that the fool walks towards sin. And often we think that the moment of failure when you fail sexually is where the battle was lost, but actually what we see in this uh parable or whatever uh, in Proverbs 7 is there was clear a clear path that this man walked where there were red flags all along the way and small compromises he made along mm. the way. So we want to implement uh, wisdom steps to avoid the path and really radical amputation, which comes from Matthew 5.30, where Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Um, and so we want to identify the patterns and the pathways that we typically find ourselves uh that typically lead to a spot of susceptibility or temptation. And kind of when we still have like identify when, when do I have clarity of mind that I could make a decision? Mm. So this man, when he is being embraced and kissed by the woman, he doesn't have clarity of mind. Like mm-hmm. at that point, the desire for sin is most likely so strong in him that he'll have very little chance to make logical reasonable, godly decisions. So really, you need to ask, when was kind of the last time that he had the like place of mind to make a godly, reasonable, logical decision? And let's implement the wisdom step then. Mm -hmm. So real practical, let's say uh, you you struggle with pornography, and you find that uh, as you reflect on when that most often happens, you find that it's midnight, no one else is awake, you're in the basement on Facebook, and that... When those like, pieces are all in place, nine times out of 10, you watch pornography. Mm. Well, okay, let's step back. One, let's recognize that, that those are the pieces of the puzzle that are in place when you fail. When in the evening are you, <laughs> godly enough, I don't know, have a, like clarity of mind to make decisions that to not do that? Well, let's say at 5 p.m., is the last time that you kind of have clarity of mind. It's like, well, okay, let's make those decisions at 5 p.m. then of what the mm. rest of your evening is going to look like. So it might look like uh, having your spouse take your phone at 9.30. So mm-hmm. at 5, I'll say, hey, spouse, take my phone at 9.30. Mm. Um, it might be uh, communicating with your spouse what time you're going to go to bed. It might even just be as simple as, hey, like, I know that you're going to bed earlier than I am tonight, and I want to walk in purity. Sometimes just saying that out loud yeah. is enough to just create that category. And that's, again, to the proactive accountability. Mm-hmm. But really what you're trying to do is you're trying to identify the patterns of sin, habitual sin. I know whenever I spend time with these people, I end up failing. I know whenever mm-hmm. I watch these kinds of movies, it puts thoughts in my mind. The movie itself might not be sinful. It might not uh, contain porno- like pornographic images or anything, But I know that the content or the subject matter of this movie gets me to begin to face temptation and things like that. So I want to recognize what those things are and then begin implementing radical amputation, meaning cutting those things out uh, to avoid putting myself in a tempting spot. Um, Which the question might be like, well, how is that not legalism? Well, it's Mm -hmm. not legalism because that is wisdom, it becomes legalism when you impose your wisdom step to avoid temptation on other people. Yeah. So there was a season in my life where it's like, okay, I need to be very conscientious of my social media intake, my uh, me- like my movie intake, things like that. And I remember there was a really popular TV show that I just found whenever I watched this TV show, I was tempted to have lustful thoughts. And it was really popular at the time. All of my friends were watching it and it there was nothing explicit or pornographic in it. So I would not say it was sinful for them to watch. It was just a, a show that brought up the topic of sex a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I made a, a decision, you know what? I can't watch this show, at least for this season of life. I don't mm-hmm. have the maturity to watch this show. And it's a primetime NBC show that like, you know, I think Everyone – or most people are totally fine watching. But I just found for myself I was particularly susceptible when I watched it. Now, it would have become legalism had I told all my friends they also need to stop watching it. Mm. It wasn't legalism because it was a wisdom step for me uh, to avoid temptation. And so uh, one of the things that I think through is if you struggle with gluttony, like you didn't lose the battle when you were standing at the Pizza Ranch Buffet. (laughs) Like if that is where – if you come to me with a struggle with gluttony and I ask, well, where would you lose? And you say, man, every time I'm standing at the buffet, I just can't help but grab the bacon chicken ranch. And it's like, (laughs) dude, that's not where you lost. like (laughs) You lost on Sunday afternoon when you didn't plan out your meals for the entire week and Mm -hmm. then go to the grocery store and make sure your cupboards were stocked with that. You know how much easier it is to avoid gluttony when you have all of your meals planned and all the food for those meals? available, really easy, yeah. or at least it becomes like you know exponentially more easy to, to fight and win that battle. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you struggle with sexual sin um, and you know there's a particular coworker that you're tempted to have an affair with, and every mm-hmm. time you go on a business trip, it's like, okay, when did that happen? Well, man, when we were... It was 10 at night, we were at the bar, and then she invited me to go watch that movie in her hotel room. When we were there, I just... I couldn't resist, and I gave in. It's like, dude, dude, you didn't lose the that. battle in yep. the bedroom. Yep. You lost the battle long before that, mm-hmm. probably when you began to let the health of your marriage slide, Yeah, and then probably when you began to receive some of the affirmation and approval that you should receive from your wife through a coworker. hmm And then when you began to go on these business trips, which maybe business trips are a part of your job, but you didn't have any forethought of how to navigate that situation with integrity. Mm. And then when you began to do things that were uh, breaking boundaries or pushing boundaries by having late night drinks with her. Mm -hmm. And then for sure, when you went to her room, like you needed to go way, 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 way back five years ago maybe, when you stopped taking your wife on regular dates yeah, and when you stopped communicating clearly with your wife the workplace relationships you have. Mm -hmm. It's totally fine for you to have friendship with the opposite sex at work. They just need to be appropriate, and it's something that you should be completely transparent with your wife about or your husband about. Mm -hmm. Um, And honestly, what I've found that's been really helpful for me when I cultivate workplace relationships with the opposite sex is if I can – Invite those people over for dinner and they can meet my wife. Like, all those things are super helpful in order for me to maintain appropriate boundaries. And so, we've got to stop saying we lost the battle in the bedroom Mm -hmm. or we lost the battle when I was up alone at midnight on my phone. It's like, no, that's not where you lost the battle. Mm -hmm. Let's go all the way back to Sunday afternoon when you didn't plan your meals and go to the grocery store. Yeah. And that's when I begin to see people take. In serious steps of victory and freedom, when it comes to sexual sin or any habitual sin, is really the game changer moment when you can begin addressing the path and patterns that put you in a compromising situation and begin to address them mm-hmm. way before uh, you get into the heat of the moment when the desire for sin is str- so strong
0: that it uh, clouds your uh, thinking. Mm. And it's and it's really like the the thing that'll make radical amputation of. Of sin happen is when you have a hatred of that sin. Yeah, when you actually hate the sin, you know. And and I'll, I'll talk to guys, and, and and these are really beautiful conversations where where you begin to see that light bulb turn on, where it's like where they actually begin to consider what would it what would life look like without a smartphone, and they're at they hate their sin so much that they go. Actually having this little computer in my pocket all the time that I can take anywhere and it's with me at any time of day, I can't handle that. And so what I'm gonna have to do is I, I know I still need to be able to you know be communicated with stuff like that. I'm actually gonna get like a like a watch that can connect to mm-hmm. my phone plan. I'm gonna leave my phone in a safe at home that my wife has the combination. So I can still get texts and phone calls, but I can't browse the internet, all that stuff. Like, I'm going to radically inconvenience myself yes. for the sake of fighting this sin. Like it's that like we we have men in our church who are doing that. That I'm just so tremendously proud of because because they hate their sexual sin so much, they are conveniencing themselves in a way that people in the 21st century just could not possibly imagine. What would it look like to not have a TV? In your bedroom, you know if, and I'm not I'm not saying this prescriptively. I'm just saying like that radical mm-hmm. amputation of mm-hmm. sin. What, what does it look like in our lives, in the in the temptations that we face, and what would it look like if we actually hated that sin? Yeah. It would probably mean that we do things that look very radical to to, yeah. to either people who don't struggle with the same thing or people who don't hate the sin in the same way. You know, yeah, which absolutely, like you said, goes back to that third point
1: of. If you agree, if you listen to the father's advice to his sons, little does he know this is going to cost him his life. Mm. All of a sudden, that brings a lot of clarity to what I'm willing to do in order to fight sin. Mm. And there's no there's no uh, cost of inconveniencing myself to fight sin that compares to the cost of failing and yeah. sin. Like, the cost of inconveniencing yourself. just It doesn't compare to the mm-hmm. cost of failure. Um, and, yeah, there's a lot of things that you will have to make yourself that will be very inconvenient uh, but will be worth it. Mm. And so if you're a student, I know of other people who don't have a personal computer and have utilized the library's computers. Mm. Super inconvenient. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so inconvenient. But you know what's awesome is – Being able to tell your daughter that you're a man of integrity.
0: Mm, Yeah.
1: That is awesome. So yes, you're limiting what looks like your freedom in one sense to do your homework whenever you want because you're Mm. at a library computer, but it's creating freedom. You know how freeing it is Mm. when my wife says, hey, I need to shoot an email on your computer. And I just say, it's in my backpack. Like, you know everything and I don't have to flinch mm-hmm. because I've never compromised with my computer. It's like, okay, that's awesome. Like yeah, that <laughs> that's freedom. the freedom that Seriously. we want and and that's that's ultimately what we what we want to desire in in the li- our lives and in the lives of our church is people who are marked by maturity
0: and maturity brings freedom. Mm. And it's so much more fun to be free than to be enslaved. Well, and it's funny too cuz I and, and we've said this before where it's like where where is a fish most free? Mm. It's most free existing in the place that it was designed. You know, like how, how absurd would it be for a fish to flop itself up on dry land and go like, "I'm tired of this restrictive water. This water is so legalistic. I want to I want to be free." Gets out under like that's the place of death. It's actually mm-hmm. within the good restrictions of its design that it's able to flourish. And so even though even these radical things that seem like a restriction on your freedom are can actually be the things that that are pathways to flourishing within God's mm-hmm. good design for us, particularly mm-hmm. when it re- relates to sexuality and, and purity. Yeah. You know, so now
1: you've got to exercise wisdom in this. Like, I mean, that's the, the key is wisdom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, cause you have to interact with the coworkers you have that are the opposite sex in a meaningful, like healthy way at work. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have, like we're, If we're believers in Christ, we should be salt and light in the world, and so Mm. we shouldn't walk around our workplace seeing, if you're a male, you shouldn't walk around your workplace seeing every female as a threat. Like That that creates a horrible sexist environment. Mm. Um, And so we've got to work hard of how do I embrace the burden of my sin and not impose that burden on the people around me? Because um, I know that the, as a, as the church, historically, we've fallen into those traps of yeah. the problem with my internal sin struggle are the yoga pants out there. And it's mm. like, no, it's not. Right. Like, now, we can address what it looks like to encourage uh, individuals in our church to embrace modesty, but we also don't have... Like, we live in a culture that celebrates things that are opposed to God. Mm. So how do you, as a man of God or woman of God begin to navigate these environments in a way that still honors God and doesn't uh, maybe hurt non-believers or whatever. So you've got to work hard at this, because you can't just only schedule meetings with men at mm-hmm. your workplace. Yeah. That's a not a good thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got yeah. to work hard, and you got to be creative, um, but it's worth it. And yeah. I think a few things that I'd add outside of this is uh, a recognition that... That the dynamic we're learning more and more about the dynamics of addiction, mm. and there it's difficult to know potentially whether or not your habitual struggle with a sin, or especially a sexual sin, when does it cross the line of addiction or uh, just significant uh, struggle? Um, but that is a real category that many people would be served by a professional who can mm-hmm. help them walk through. A severe addiction, uh, especially sexual addiction. Um, there's recovery groups through Celebrate Recovery that mm-hmm. deal... An entire recovery group that is for sexual addiction. And I think that is a reality that we also need to recognize, and we're learning more about as a church, of, mm-hmm. of the dynamics of addiction, and that might play into this. It's not as simple of just saying, stop sinning, be more spiritual. Yeah. We also want to recognize that some of you... Uh, have a particular struggle with an area that will take additional resources to overcome mm. um, that's not outside of you know the bible or spiritual health but just also you can be really served by god's common grace to psychologists and things like that that mm-hmm. could help you and so if you need help identifying whether or not you fit into that category of someone that your particular struggle would be significantly helped through professional counseling um, or a skilled uh, person who can come alongside you, we would love to help you figure that out. Um, Our elder team, our connection group leaders would love to help you know whether or not uh, you could benefit from professional advice and care in this area.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, And we also recognize too, I think it's been easy uh, with within church culture to only speak to sexual sin and temptation and purity issues as a purely male-oriented struggle. Absolutely. When it is it is not at all obvious that that is the case. Like this, this is something that men and women both possibly equally in in, in a variety of ways struggle with too. And so, uh, especially f- you know not especially for but in addition to men, women as well. Um, Walking through these things, being transparent with one another, hating our sin, radical ways to avoid the path—I mean, to not just think this is a a purely male-centered struggle. Um, so yeah, I think that's yeah, that's absolutely. really helpful as well. Absolutely. Yep. So cool. This was really helpful, Stephen. Thanks so much. I mean, we we so desire that that we would be men of. Purity, integrity—that our elders would lead the way in that, and that our that we as a church body would would embrace God's vision for our sexuality and trust that it this really is uh, the way that we were created and meant to flourish according to God's good design. That walking the path of purity is the better path, and mm-hmm. will lead us to life and and true joy. I think that's part of the lie where it's like, man, if I do this, I'm gonna I'm gonna receive more joy than I would uh going down the way that that God seems mm-hmm. to want for me and it's just it's not true.
1: Yeah.
0: God's path is the path of joy and fulfillment and mm-hmm. and that path of obedience isn't without struggle, but it it uh it matters. It yeah. matters a lot. Yeah. So, thanks so much and for I, leading us in these ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to
1: to kind of put a cap on it in case especially if you miss the Sunday sermon, um, I think it'd be easy at this point to think, "Oh my word! Like, how could I ever be accepted in this community? How could God ever accept me?" Like, Mm. you know, just there's a significant. All of us face brokenness in our sexual lives, and one of the things that is just so striking as you go through the Bible is the number of times that God relates to His people and refers to them as an Mm adulteress. That God actually. and Hosea, when Hosea is commanded to go and marry Gomer, the prostitute, and then Gomer has a baby with Hosea, but then has two babies with other men and then eventually abandons their family, it's Hosea that goes to the slave market when Gomer's kind of lifespan as a prostitute has been run run out because she's mm-hmm. no longer beautiful and sought after. And it's Hosea who buys her and redeems her mm-hmm. with, I believe, it was it 15 or 30 shekels of silver? Um, He pays the price Mm -hmm. and brings her home and says these beautiful words of, you will be with me and you will be mine. And the climax of the story is when God reveals to Hosea, hey, you're relating to Gomer this way to give my people a picture of the sort of husband that they have, one who goes after the adulterous spouse who's broken sexually, who's abandoned him, and yet will pay the price himself to redeem and re- and heal her. Mm. And so in that story, we see that all of us are broken sexually, and yet we have a God who would pay the price to heal us of our adultery against God in order to bring us into his own family. And he says the same beautiful words over us that Hosea said over mm. Gomer, you are mine, I've bought you with a price, you will be with me forever. And that is the God that we have and the true spouse that has... Uh, at his own expense, to, paid the price
0: to heal us from our sexual sin and our brokenness. Mm, yeah, it really is true. We're never so good that we don't need God, and never so broken that he doesn't want us. Absolutely. So, man, this has been awesome. Thanks so Thanks, much. Jake.